Hey, it's Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. Join myself, Amanda Rivas, Al Manorino, and a cavalcade of awesome guests on the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. And it's Amanda Rivas. If you're a pop culture obsessed nerd like we are, then you need to make Socially Distanced an integral part of your life. We talk all the things, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, everything on Disney Plus pretty much, as well as the hottest trending shows and news in the world of pop culture. This is definitely Al Manorino and not Bill Bodkin. So listen to the Socially Distanced podcast every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so we can eventually get Disney Plus to give us advertising money. Please, we could use the money. I, I have children. Hey everyone, I'm Marshall and she's Courtney and we're your hosts of Blurred Watchers Podcast here on The Pop Break. Come hang out with us as we discuss, cross-examine, theorize, summarize, and review our favorite offerings. And tangents, there will be tangents, whether it be live, streaming, or anything in between. If we watch it and think it's cool, we invite you to come hang with us as we all talk about it. Our episodes post every third Monday on The Pop Break Podcast feed. See you there. Bye. Hello, everyone. Happy Halloween and welcome to another episode of the Batman by the Numbers podcast. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Cohen. Uh, no Alex or Bill today. Uh, I don't know. They're off at a Gotham City Observatory grand opening or something. Whatever. That's OK, though. Uh, I've got a special guest here with me to talk some Batman. Uh, he is the host of the superhero cinephiles podcast and he's got another project he'll be promoting later on as well harry constantine welcome to the podcast thanks for having me on i'm excited to be here i'm looking forward to talking some batman with you awesome yep well that's what we do here um i should also mention uh perry you're in japan i'm on pacific time here in los angeles uh i was also sitting in a movie theater for nearly four hours last night watching killers of the flower moon so I'm in recovery mode. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see how it all goes today. Why are we here? Well, as I mentioned, it's Halloween. Um, you know, Perry, quick question for you off the bat. Uh, were you ever a Batman villain for Halloween? I was the Joker a Halloween um, about like maybe 10 years ago. So I, I did do the Joker thing like everybody else at one point when that was really popular. But uh, actually, when I was a kid, Batman Forever had come out in theaters and I dressed up as Robin one Halloween for that. Oh, OK. Robin. OK. Well, one time I was the, I was the Riddler, actually, a character we'll talk about or won't talk about later. We'll get into that. But as it's Halloween, we got to do it. We talked about an animated movie last time on this podcast. Uh, we're back talking another one this month or well, or two rather. Yes, we're here to discuss the two part animated adaptation of Batman, The Long Halloween, uh, which came out in 2021. And uh, I'll just say this at the top because I already teased this last month. So this is our third animated movie being discussed on this podcast. Uh, the other two we did were Batman, The Doom That Came to Gotham uh, when that came out. And then last month we did Batman Ninja, uh, both of which I really didn't like. Well, I, I Batman Ninja was OK. But this one, I'll just say it. I love this adaptation. And on rewatch, I loved it even more. Um, so, Perry, I'm interested to get your thoughts on it. But before we do that, 
You know, I think I think we got to start with the source material, the actual comic that this was based on, Batman, The Long Halloween, written by Jeff Loeb uh, with art by Tim Sale. Uh, it was a 13 issue series that came out in 1996 that went into 97. And I feel like in Batman lore uh, and among Batman fans, this story is considered you know, in the upper echelon of Batman comics. It's, you know, it's not the killing joke or Dark Knight Returns level, but I, I think many Batman fans would only have it like one level below those. I really do. Um, so Perry, let me ask you this first. Do you agree with that assessment on Long Halloween's place in history? And then also just how do you feel about this original comic book? So, uh, yeah, I would say that is it is one of the the key stories that whenever you're talking about the comics that really kind of capture Batman's character, uh, his world, that is one of the ones that's said in the same breath as like, like you said, Dark Knight Returns or Killing Joke or Year One. I would actually probably put it above uh, Killing Joke. Like over time, I've kind of, uh, I've, my opinion on Killing Joke has kind of gone a little bit south. It, it doesn't hold up as well for me. Uh, the Barbara Gordon stuff is, you know, it, from a mo- more modern perspective, it, it, it's really kind of icky. Um, but the, and, and even like Alan Moore said that he just kind of like, <laughs> he's not really sure what, he, he's not really proud of that work too. So uh, I kind of fall in that camp. And um, but Long Halloween, it's one of my favorite Batman stories. And you know, we talked about it, both the comic and the movie on my show about a year or two ago. And one of the things I noted that me and my guests were talking about it is that if you're going to give a comic book to somebody who wants who says like, oh, I want to read Batman, where should I start? A lot of like a lot of the common knowledge is like, oh, you give them Dark Knight Returns. I think Dark Knight Returns is the book you give them after they've kind of gotten introduced to Batman stuff. So, but I'd say you give them year one and you give them long Halloween. And those are like the two best places to start them off. I, I literally had in my notes, like if, if there was someone who had no knowledge of Batman or like a Batman comic book, like this is one I would probably recommend to people to read first. I, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's that good. And again, this is, for me, like this is one of the few Batman comics I actually remember buying as the issues were coming out. Usually with comic books, for me anyway, I would buy it way after the fact when it was released as a graphic novel. For this one, I remember my best friend at the time turned me on to it. I jumped into it at the April Fool's Day issue. I remember walking into a comic book shop and seeing the bright green cover with the Riddler on it and immediately bought it. Uh, I was instantly hooked. I just thought the idea of a Batman villain who planned his crimes around holidays was very Batman. And that's why I liked it. Uh, but as a kid, you know, what I appreciated most about this Batman story was how well it weaved its villains into the story. Batman's villain roster is obviously very deep, which is a big reason why the character is so popular. And it's so easy nowadays to just, you know, cram Batman villains into a story. But the long Halloween was the one that really did it right. Um, and aside from maybe, you know, one or two villains in the story, which we can talk about, you know, nobody is really shortchanged here. I think they all get their moment, obviously, in particular, Two-Face, who, of course, is a critical part of the story. Um, and I don't I do not think it's hyperbolic to say this, but I think this is the best all these Batman villains have ever looked in a comic book or, or a movie. I Like, period. Uh, here, Here's why it works. They don't overthink it. All the villains have their classic vintage trademark looks. 
you know, this isn't Jared Leto and Suicide Squad where they're trying so hard not to look like the Joker. It just it takes the iconic looks and just maximizes their potential. Uh, and Poison Ivy in particular is this incredible artwork. So, yeah, I, as a kid, I loved this story because of the Batman villains and seeing them in their iconic looks using their full array of gimmicks. Um, I loved it. But now as an adult, you begin to appreciate it truly as just a great Batman story. It's got a lot of stuff here. Batman wrestling with being a good detective, then downfall all the family drama with the falcons albeit you know maybe way too many good well there's a couple good fellow references but actually there's a lot of godfather references here that are it's a little much and it has what all great batman stories do perry it puts gotham city at the center of everything and asks the central question of batman can gotham city ever truly be saved and it ends how all great Batman stories end, which is, you know, this bittersweet optimism. So, yeah, for me, The Long Halloween is an ab absolutely a top five Batman story. No question. And guess what? You know who would agree with me? I think Christopher Nolan and Matt Reeves. Look, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you've obviously read or seen the animated movie that we're about to talk about. So it's pretty damn obvious how much Nolan and Reeves were inspired by this comic, as they should. I mean, for Nolan... It was very heavy on the Harvey Dent elements. And for Reeves, it was all about fathers and sons and sins of the father and all that stuff. We'll get into all that. But yeah, let's actually get into this animated adaptation, though. It's a two-parter. Perry, I'll, give, I'll, I'll get into my thoughts here in a bit. But just, uh, I already alluded to that I very much like it. Um, I think it's a great addition to the Batman animated library. Do you agree? Just in general, how, how did you feel about this two-part film? So when you're comparing it to uh, The Doom That Came to Gotham, which I haven't seen that one, so I can't comment on that, but... And you're comparing it to like Batman Ninja. I would definitely choose this over Batman Ninja. I think part one is amazing. Part one is such a great movie and it ends on such a, a big twist from the comic book. It leaves it completely open uh, for what's going to happen in part two. And I remember... I remember watching them part one and part two split up when they premiered on Mac. So part one came out first. And when it got to that end, I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait to see where they take the story now. And then when we got into part two. That's when it kind of lost me. So I love what they did in part one. Part two, the changes they made really don't work for me. And uh, we can get into we'll probably get into that, I think, especially the the big reveal at the end. Mm -hmm. But um, but also just to mention that you talked about the artwork. I mean, the artwork in the comic book is breathtaking i mean tim sale you know you know rest his soul was such an amazing talent and not only just the way he drew those characters but the way he used color and and them like you were talking about poison ivy a big way that the big reason that she works so well is just the way that she's colored too and it was just a masterstroke, especially when you get into two-face where it always kind of made me wonder why acid burns off harvey's flesh but it turns his hair white instead of burning it off so one of the things i like about long halloween is that you know tim sale said well it's acid it makes sense it would burn his head his hair off so he's got half his head is like bald and all mangled up from the acid it, it looks it, it it it's he did and that was one of the things i wish they had brought in from the the artwork into this movie um yeah i think it's it's a decent adaptation it's for the at least in the first part and i love the a lot of the cast in it but i do feel like some of the changes kind of lost me in the second part i would probably say now that now that i'm thinking about it after what you said i mean part one is is great um part two i also very much like um i would say that i think that's probably fair there's some more inconsistency there but i do think like the highs of part two are really high i would just say this i'll just kind of talk about this both parts as a whole 
I just feel like what this movie does that a lot of other animated Batman movies don't is that this one it really takes its time. Now, obviously, having two parts helps. And clearly, I just I'm sure this one had some real money behind it that I'm sure other animated Batman movies probably don't get. You can tell that in the animation. You can tell it in the movie's score. They committed to doing this one right, like much like they did with the two-part Dark Knight Returns. And I actually think I like this one a little bit better than that. Um, but the Dark Knight Returns is pretty good. Uh, but this movie... I mean, this movie is definitely more for adults, with the second part actually being rated R. Um, it's what many good Batman movies have. It's atmospheric. It's meticulous. You really feel the holiday killings, um, which are obviously the driving force of the movie. It's meant to be an early Batman story, very, very similar to the movie, The Batman. He's probably two to three years into the job. Um, Bruce is still learning how to be Batman and hasn't figured out what Batman is yet. There's a great Batman and Catwoman dynamic for sure. Again, we can see where Matt Reeves got his inspiration. Um, just like there's a moment when they're kissing on top of a building and you see Gotham City and it's all its glory in the background. It, it is a gorgeous, epic looking looking frame from the movie for sure. Uh, but it goes back to, again, this movie is just able to take its time. Um, even with all the action sequences, like just in particular, all the shootouts, Joker escaping from Falcone's compound, Batman chasing Calvin across the rooftops, Calvin fighting Poison Ivy at Wayne Manor. Uh, they really take those their time with those action sequences. Um, we also look, I mean, we get to spend substantial time with all these characters. You know, we see Gordon in his home life with his family um, and how the job just weighs on them. We don't get to see a ton of that stuff usually. Um, the tension between Dent and his wife, Gilda, is palpable. Um, the Bruce Al and Alfred scenes are great, which I want to get to a little bit later. Superb voice acting all around. Nobody overdoes it, um, including from Naya Rivera, who voiced Catwoman, who's great. And I just learned this in my research. I very tragically uh, drowned and passed away in 2020. Uh, very sad. Part one at the end is actually a dedication to her. But yeah, this movie has everything you love about Batman. The villains, the theme of can you still believe in Gotham City, the mob, and is a great detective story. Uh, but speaking of being a great detective story, so this we already talked about this. We'll just get right into it. So this movie makes significant changes from the book. I actually think mostly they are for the better. You might disagree. It specifically improves improves on one element from the book that when I reread it, I, it didn't, I didn't like it all that much, but I'm going to put a bookmark in that because I have a feeling we're about to talk about that. But um, Perry, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you first because I know you already alluded to some of this. You know, what were, well, I'll ask you this first. What were some of the changes of the movie that you did enjoy and you felt were improved? So one of the things the movie does, and it, it's it, it's something I'm a little bit mixed on, but I, I, I like the idea behind it. And it's this idea that Bruce is still very inexperienced. He doesn't really know how to be a detective yet. And there's like, there's that, that scene when uh, Maroney tells him, you're not much of a detective, are you? And then when he's in the Batcave and he's, he's saying, he's like, I just thought, you know, cleaning up the streets, that's all I'd have to do. You know, beat up a few thugs, throw them in prison, scare the others straight. But now I'm thinking I need to be more of a detective. And, and so on the one hand, I like the idea that we're not seeing the hyper-competent Batman that we get so often these days where he's, He's like 20 steps above, ahead of everybody. He has every scenario mapped out in his head ahead of time. Uh, I think some some stories, they kind of overdo that a little bit. So I do like that we're taking this back to a much more grounded Batman who is still kind of figuring things out. Even in the Long Halloween comic book, he was very, very confident. He was very good at his job. Um, and I think showing a little bit more of the struggle is, is something this movie does mostly well, although it does raise a... If you're a stickler for continuity, it does raise the question of, well, 
what was he doing all those years when he was traveling the globe then? Was he not just focusing on fighting skills and not even bothering with the detective skills and all that? So that was something that kind of stuck out to me a little bit. But overall, I do like that change of it. Um, and I like also that they established right, pretty much right from the start that Bruce and Selena know who each other are. They, they both know that their true identity. So I did like that aspect of it, although I did think there was a missed opportunity to show the contrast between Bruce and Selena dancing at the wedding in the comic book, and then later when they're fight, chasing each other across the rooftop as Batman and, and Catwoman. I didn't think losing that was a little bit of um, uh, a missed opportunity, but that's a, that's a minor thing. Overall, I thought that aspect of it was very good. I loved Catwoman this all, all from, like, Naya Rivera did such a great job as her. And and I, I we'll probably be talking about the casting, too, but Jensen Ackles. I mean, you're obviously... He's good. Never gonna, you're never gonna hit the highs of Kevin Conroy, right? You're, he's in like a completely different stratosphere of Batman actors, but Ackles is definitely up there. He is definitely up there as far as, uh, as far as Batman actors go, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, and I want to go back to something you said at the beginning about like Batman being a detective and learning how he has to be a good detective. And, and I agree with you too. Like, look, I always, listen, I'm obviously a big Batman fan. I host a Batman podcast and look, I, I, I like seeing the confident Batman. I always like him seeing 20 steps ahead of everyone. That's always fun. But if you do it too much, it can get boring. Um, and again, going back to, I didn't think I'd reference this movie that much but I, it is relevant but yeah but going back to the batman like i think it had some of those elements too where he's like he's learning you know from his mistakes and he's very raw um even in a movie like batman begins i don't want to derail too much but even in a movie like batman begins which obviously i love batman begins but you know he's pretty you know we now we see him training but you know he's pretty polished from the beginning so you know it's good once in a while to see some of those changes where he's really um you know still kind of learning his lessons but as far as like, so what I like getting back to this movie, what I like about um, some of the changes that they did for, for me, I, I I thought a lot of the Alberto Falcone changes were really good. I like what they did with that character, um, specifically um, how Gilda Dent did have this past with him. And this is this was such a big change that from the book that I literally went back to the book after watching the movie. And I was like, did I miss something here? Like, but no, to my recollection, there was no romantic backstory with him and Gilda in the book. Um, because here, here's why I like, not only did these tweets flesh out the Alberto character in general and provided more conflict and tension with his dad. Um, my, but my biggest complaint from the book was as good of a detective story as it was, I, I find the ending very convoluted and confusing. And maybe I'm just stupid, which is often the case, uh, and missed the point, but like, you know, like, was Alberto at Times Holiday or was it Dent or was it just Gilda or some combination? I never really got it. I don't know. Maybe I got to read it five times again. I don't know. Um, the film. So here's the thing. The film also makes Gilda's motivation much clearer. Now, yes, you could argue that the movie simplifies it too much in that it was just like, yeah, she she's holiday because it was purely revenge against Carmine Falcone. Very cut and dry. Whereas in the book, I could see like, yes, there's some complexity there and that Gilda's marriage was so warped by what Gotham City does to people. It changed her. And in a way, she thinks she can save Harvey by taking out the Falcons herself. I just found the motivations a little bit confusing in the novel for me. So in this version, it's a little over the top. Um, but especially like in particular with what happens with her pregnancy, which is horrible and really does make Carmine a monster. But I think it provides a little bit of a better clarity 
for why Holiday even exists in the first place. So those are some of the changes I really did like from the book. I, I do like the big changes. Um, and now I've heavily hinted at what I don't like in terms of changes they did, but I want to give it to you first, Perry, because uh, you alluded to you might disagree with some of the stuff I just said. But yeah, what are some of the changes that you did not like? Does it incorporate some of that stuff? Yeah, I definitely wanted to pick up uh, on some of that stuff. Um, yep. I will agree with you on one point, like the Gilda stuff in the comic book, it it feels very tacked on at the end. It, it kind of feels like Loeb wanted a twist ending. And as much as I like the long Halloween, a good mystery story should give the reader all the clues they need to solve the mystery on their own. Right. You may not be able to see it right from the start, but then when you go back on repeat viewings, you should be like, oh, now I see where how everything fits together. I don't think the long Halloween, either the definitely not the comic, the movie in some ways, maybe it gives you some better clarity on the mystery aspect. Um, but that comic book, I don't think it's a really good mystery. It's a great Batman story. It's a lot of fun. But as far if you're looking at it strictly as a mystery, it, it doesn't quite work because those there are some pieces that don't really quite fit together. Like you said, there's some confusion about when was it Alberto? When was it um, Gilda? When was it Harvey? And, and I've read that book, you know, I don't even know how many dozens of times. So I, I, and it even still, it's still something I still, still kind of question myself about. And what I finally settled on is I think it was Gilda did like the first two or three murders. After that, Falcone was kind of like inspired by her and he kind of like picked up the, the ball and he kept running with it. And then obviously it was Harvey at the end. He was the last holiday killer at the end. So that was the way I kind of looked at it. That was the way that's kind of my interpretation that I think kind of makes everything fit together. Um, the movie, I do agree with you that what they do with Alberto and the and how they depict his tension, and all that, that is that is done very well. He feels much more developed in the movie as opposed to the book, whereas in the book he was very just kind of one note and it wasn't that much of a surprise and in fact i think the gilda thing may have been tacked on because wizard kind of blew the lid off who it probably is mm. um they they did an article about like who is holiday i remember reading and they had predicted that they said that it felt alberto was like the most likely candidate so i think maybe lobe through that twist in the end to kind of get back at wizard for doing that and um but the biggest i have two big issues with the gilda reveal in this movie you are right it her motivations here makes so much more sense but it's also just a very tired cliche like the scorn lover and all that and she's getting revenge because of you know this um forced forced abortion and all this kind of stuff like i didn't like that aspect of it it also it it made me question how dedicated she actually was to harvey how much she actually loved him whereas in the comic it is very clear that she is very much in love with harvey she is very devoted to him in the movie it almost feels like harvey is kind of a means of means to an end for her and i didn't really like that aspect of it i mean you can make an argument that they're both kind of you know sexist portrayals definitely but um that was my biggest problem that was one of my biggest problems the other big problem i had with it was one of the things i really like about long halloween is it it depicts this idea of a changing gotham which you know kind of like at the end of that you'd mentioned batman begins and then dark knight how it's got this theme of escalation right how you know gordon says at the end of batman begins like you're you're jumping off rooftops and you're wearing a mask and now we've got this guy who's got a taste for theatrical and he's got the joker card so it's it and it and then the dark knight was all about how it's playing into this idea that batman is unintentionally bringing this craziness to gotham or that gotham is evolving because of batman's presence and i like that idea that nolan played with in those movies and i like that the comic introduced that idea and that alberto kind of serves as a bridge to this new gotham where he is he is of the, the old ways the old mobsters but he is getting seduced by the by the freaks and all that and and the more theatrical aspects of it 
So he's kind of like this idea, the symbol of Gotham transitioning into the more freak oriented territory is kind of how I, I always saw Alberto in the long Halloween comic book. When you take him out of the equation as the holiday killer, that aspect of it is, is lost and kind of disappointingly so for me. So yeah, there's okay. So there's a couple of points I, I want to hit on there. First of all, so I actually, I, I think your points are fair about her relationship with Harvey Dent. Um, it does seem like, you know, it's really more about she loves his pursuit of justice, which I think is why they fall together. And, you know, to be honest, like just staying on Gildy here for a moment, I think that I think that the themes and what they do with her character could potentially be more compelling in the comic book. But I don't think the ending lands, which is why I just think that I like that they just simplified it in the movie, which I think why it probably works better for me. I think you make some great points about Alberto. And being like this kind of bridge between the old ways and the new ways of the villainy in Gotham City. But honestly, I'll just copy and paste the argument I just used where, again, I think that fumbles at the end. Like they don't really fall through with anything. I just don't. So it's like he's holiday and then he's just kind of in a jail cell and his dad's talking to him. And it's just like, that's it. Like, that's all we heard from Alberto. I just don't. There's nothing fleshed out there. I think you hit on something, though, that there's definitely could have been some potential for him to be like a bridge between, you know, yeah, I was the heir to the throne of the Falcone family, but I'm actually more like, you know, these guys over here. You know, I'm like more like the Joker or whatever, um, or Scarecrow, and I have more of those characteristics. So yeah, there is. I mean, it's like he's like kind of the good son, but there's also, you know, in the book. You know, there's kind of an unnerving quality about him. Um, but I just I don't think they fall through with anything. He's just not fleshed out at all. Whereas in the book, yep, it they simply I mean in the movie, they simplify it more, but the the character connections are much more clear. Speaking of villains, so I've got to talk about this. I, I have to mention it because talking about one of the changes that I didn't like. Yeah, they cut the Riddler. W what the hell? I've said this on this podcast before. The Riddler is my second favorite Batman villain behind the obvious one. And until recently. The Riddler always got the shaft. We never saw a Tim Burton version of the Riddler, even though I even though I do appreciate Jim Carrey's effort as that character in Batman Forever. But, you know, look, I mean, that's a villain performance you like as a kid, not so much as an adult. Um, even Christopher Nolan ignored him. We only had three episodes in the animated series, which I guess is not that bad. They were all they were all three of them were good episodes. Finally, Matt Reeves and Paul Dano gave the character his due. Um, and here's the thing. I, I understand why they cut his segment in the movie. It's not really necessary. The April Fool storyline doesn't further the plot at all. But it, it's such a shame because the Riddler characterization in the book is so good. It does a flawless job of showing the reader the Riddler's strengths and weaknesses all at the same time. Carmine hires him to figure out who Holiday is, thinking he's the guy who can put the puzzle together. But in classic Riddler fashion, he goes around in circles and overthinks all of his answers ultimately twisting himself into a pretzel and then Carmine gets annoyed and just tosses him outside to the gutter. It's great. Um, and I remember watching part one of the long Halloween and loving it so much. And when it ended, I was like, Oh, I can't wait to see how they handle the Riddler in part two. And so I wanted to see who's going to voice him. And I remember going to IMDb and not seeing anybody listed for the Riddler. And then it slowly dawned on me. And I was like, Oh crap, they're going to cut him. I was, I was devastated. I like, so again, I know. So again, I know he doesn't really progress the story. Could have done like a few minutes with the Riddler, and it makes sense because Carmine gets so desperate that he begins hiring these outlier villains, right? Which his daughter Sophia even calls him out on, right? 
saying, oh, you know, you would have never hired Poison Ivy and Scarecrow. So it tracks that he would get so desperate and would hire the Riddler to try and figure out who Holiday is. Um, they could have done it. So, yeah. And so it's just the disappointment for me is heightened because uh, the movie does such a good job with these characters. I'm sure they would have nailed the Riddler. Um, so it's a shame. Uh, but yeah, I don't. Do do you have any strong feelings about them cutting out the Riddler? I, I really, I it's only really because I'm just such a big Riddler fan. I, I was disappointed. No, I definitely sympathize with you. I think if you're gonna cut anything from the original story because of um, because of plot cohesion, because of uh, runtime or anything like that, yeah, the Riddler story, the April Fool's issue, that does make the most sense to cut. Which is a disappointment because it is such a great issue in that original run and. And Loeb does such a great job of handling the Riddler in that. But yeah, it's it's a disappointment, but I can understand why they did it. Um, honestly, I think if you're going to cut anything, the Solomon Grundy stuff, even in the original comic, it never really did much for me. I, I would have rather see, seen more of like the Riddler or even the Penguin who just appears at the end there and he doesn't say anything. He has like no action to do. And he's another character like Alberto, who is like this transitional character. So I think you're when you're doing the story about how Gotham is changing, the Penguin is the perfect character you should be using for that. Just like, you know, again, taking it back to Matt Reeves, it's clear he was de he's definitely inspired by that with his use of the Penguin and his use of the Riddler in um, in the Batman. Okay, yeah, so this is good. We're going to, because this is the next topic anyway that I want to stay on was, you know, I talked a lot about how so many of the villains here are used very well in both the comic and in the movie. Um, now, you've already talked about some of these. So uh, you talked about Solomon Grundy, the Penguin. Were there any other villains that you feel like missed the mark um, in the long Halloween that you didn't think were utilized that well? Not so much. I mean, I think David Dasmalchain as Calendar Man, I thought that that's great casting. He did a great job, but he doesn't, fe he feels very incidental in the movie. He doesn't feel as developed as he does in the comic book. So I was a little bit disappointed with that aspect of it too. So that was a character that I thought we could have seen more of him and we could have done a lot more with him and it just kind of didn't. I, so, well, first of all, let me, on Solomon Grandi, like, yeah, yeah, he was okay. I mean, at least at least he serves a purpose. He's basically Two Face's muscle at the end. Um, and then I liked when Batman gave him a meal um, at the end of the Thanksgiving segment. That was nice. But I do see what you're saying about Calendar Man. Now at least Calendar Man, so because he's just, I mean, he never gets out of his cell. But at least it makes sense for them to go and talk to him. So for me on this topic, like you want to talk about a character who could have been cut, the Mad Hatter. Like this, other than reciting a bunch of nursery rhymes or whatever, he serves no purpose. Now, okay. It's, it's better in the book because they were at least able to play around with the font, which makes him a bit more unnerving, but he's useless in the movie. I, I also don't love the voice acting, and I know it's John DiMaggio doing the voice, who's obviously a very accomplished voice actor. But when you look at the other villains in the movie, like everybody gets to use their gimmick, right? You know, Joker, Poison Ivy, Scarecrow, Two-Face, even Penguin, who's barely in it. You know, at least he gets to shoot his umbrella once. Uh, but like... With the Mad Hatter, there's no mind control device here, you know, which is like his claim to fame as a Batman villain. You know, he he like he just has a gun. And for the record, I love the Mad Hatter as a Batman villain. He's one of the few Batman villains who has never gotten his shot in a live action version, which I would love to see. Uh, yeah, but here he's just a throwaway sidekick to the Scarecrow. Um, If you're looking for a great Mad Hatter take, stick with the animated series. He's in some great episodes in the animated series. So there you go. All right, let's get back in some positives now. Um, Perry, your chance here. Give us some of your favorite scenes from the long Halloween in this film. Some standout moments that you really, really enjoyed from this two part movie. I mean, you know, basically 
just about everything with Bruce and Alfred was so well done. Um, and Alistair Duncan uh, plays does, voices Alfred in this, and he is just pitch perfect. In fact, I I was so weirded out watching because I I could have sworn it was Efren Zimbalist Jr. because he sounded he's so much encapsulated that same attitude for for Alfred and um they were just they were great together he he they totally captured that dynamic um I love the scene I love the rooftop scene when um Batman Gordon and Harvey all meet together right that's a classic uh yep. one of the best scenes in the comic book Dark Knight did kind of their own version of it uh and that was that was a great one too as you had said the action was really well done I also liked the showdown in Falcone's office there because one of the things that kind of bugged me about the comic book is talking about the hyper-competent Batman. He is too hyper-competent in that sequence in the comic book where you've got his entire rogues gallery here and he takes them all out in like two pages without any trouble. But in the movie, it, it's, it's a little bit more of a struggle. It's a little bit more drawn out and he needs Catwoman to help him out with that. So I like that aspect of it too. I thought that was a, a change that really kind of better served the, the story. Um, so those are the scenes that really kind of stood out to me. Uh, oh, also Falcone's Falcone's death sequence was really well done too. Yep. That was, that was like, like, again, as I said, when I got to that, the end and that scene, I'm just like, Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> I don't know if you're a gamer or if you've ever played, uh, um, the final fantasy seven remake, but they had a similar moment in that game where it, throughout the entire game, you think, okay, it's just like the original game and all that. And then you get to this point at the end, you're like, whoa okay okay they just took this in a completely different direction i don't know what's happening now and i'm totally here for it i had that same feeling when i watched that um falcone's death sequence because they made it unambiguous right he falls off the boat you see his blood from the from the getting torn up by the propellers and everything so they are unambiguously telling you no he's dead he's not coming back like he did in the comic yeah well uh i've only played the original final fantasy 7 and uh that was a long time ago i don't remember anything you know can i just on the villains though i really like your point about like you know he's just going in there and just it's it is ridiculous right he's just like i'm batman and i'm fighting my my entire not his entire but like a lot of his rogues gallery but you know it's kind of interesting because just as batman is like still kind of an amateur um in his own way the, so so are the villains kind of too like they're still new to the scene as well but speaking of which i want to speak to a couple items here in terms of what my favorite scenes and moments were because one 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 of them is a very specific sequence from the film and then the other is just kind of playing on one of the themes of the movie uh, but my my favorite sequence in the movie might be just the entire New Year's Eve battle. Why? Very simple. It is just a straightforward, to the point, classic, vintage Batman-Joker battle. And yes, I know it's stuff we've seen a million times, but you know what? Screw it. I don't care. It is Joker in a plane trying to gas the city. He's using his acid flower. Batman is hanging off the plane as they duke it out. I love it. Give the people what they want. Um, also, Troy Baker, who voices Joker here, he's great. He does like a he does like a subdued Mark Hamill, but but it works within this scene, though. There's also some like legit great Joker characterization, too. I love that the Joker is obsessed with catching holiday because he doesn't like attention being taken away from him. Like that's like the whole rivalry with him. That's classic Joker. Also, that's very Batman 89 Joker. Uh, I like that's his whole motivation for wanting to kill holiday. It's jealousy. And then his reasoning for wanting to wipe out Gotham Square on New Year's Eve is just so warped. He's just playing the odds that Holiday will be there. But yeah, even if Holiday isn't there, at least he's going to kill a bunch of innocent people. I mean, that is standard, maniacal, terrible Joker villainy right there. Um, so I just like 
Anytime a Batman movie utilizes Joker well, I'm always going to give it a lot of points. Also, within the New Year's Eve scene, and I already t- touched on some of this, but you get the Alberto getting shot scene, which I think is a very well done sequence. Very cinematic. And also, we're talking about Batman learning how to be a detective. In that sequence, you know, you see that crushing look on Batman's face in that moment because he realizes, obviously, he was wrong about Alberto being Holiday. And it goes back to this idea of being a detective and the gravity that that has and what the consequences are if you're wrong. And Batman has to learn that. You know, he even says it himself with Gordon and Dent. You know, I wasn't supposed to catch Alberto. I was supposed to protect him. That's a great scene. Also, going back to the Joker, you know, I, I just mentioned this at the top, but like we see we see a Batman who's still figuring out who the Joker is. You know, like, for example, talk about Batman trying to be a better detective. Like the fact that Batman thinks that there's an outside chance that Joker could be Holiday tells you how much of an amateur he still is. There is no way a veteran Batman would think for a second that Joker is Holiday. Joker is the last villain who would want to hide and be secretive. He always wants people to know he's the culprit whenever he commits a crime. So, yeah, I love the New Year's Eve scene. Um, as far as my favorite moment goes, so I'm going to Alfred here. I have to mention a line of dialogue from Alfred. Um, so, obviously, the Wayne legacy is a big theme in the movie. You know, Bruce coming to terms with the mistakes his father made, um, who even worked with Falcone. And again, Matt Reeves is the Batman. Matt Reeves is the Batman. He's also taking inspiration from that. And speaking of the Batman, as much as I like that movie, my biggest criticism of the film was always how sloppy and just kind of droning the Wayne backstory comes across. It's just, it's so exposition heavy and all over the place. It, it just, for me, it's the biggest weakness of the movie. So I want to, let me read one line of dialogue that Alfred has in The Long Halloween. So Bruce is questioning his role as Batman because he thinks that he may only be redeeming his parents as opposed to honoring them, which is what his original intentions were as Batman. And Alfred simply says, I think it means your parents would be proud of their real legacy. And of course, he's looking at Bruce when he says it. So and I know how much my frequent co-host Alex Marcus loves the Batman. So he may want to cover his ears for what I'm about to say. But like, I think that one line of dialogue sums up all the Wayne legacy shenanigans far better than the muddled mess that it was in the Batman. I'm sorry. And again, I really like the Batman, but I just think in some ways the long Halloween accomplishes what the Batman wanted to just a little bit better in my humble opinion. I would co-sign all of that stuff. I also had issues with the um, the Wayne legacy stuff in, in the Batman. And as much as I love Andy Serkis, he he felt more like the um, the Alfred from the Earth One graphic novel, which is not at all like my my version of Alfred, my version that I prefer. And I thought this version, you know, Alistair Duncan is such a better representation of that character. And like you said, that scene where he says, like, you know, their real legacy and he's looking at Bruce like that totally Right there, completely sums up his relationship to Batman in such a perfect way. Yeah, it's all you need. And also the fact you mentioned about the Joker. One of the things that I think a lot of adaptations miss the mark on about the Joker, which at his core, the Joker is just a petty bitch. <laughs> he is just super petty, right? He, you know, the, yes. the, all the, the famous laughing fish storyline. Why is he going after them? Because they wouldn't give him a copyright on his poison fish. So he, he decides to kill them. Right. He, um, you know, he he takes these, you know, these small offenses and he turns them into these, you know, massive games of, of torment. And yeah, I think that's that. And this movie definitely captures that aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, the Joker, look, I mean, obviously, look, the character of the Joker has been reinterpreted and we've been given many, many interpretations. And look, a lot of them break. 
Um, and obviously, like, you know, like obvi- my favorite is obviously Heath Ledger's Joker. And of course, now that Batman in that particular story, you know, he's, you know, he's got, you know, you know, big ideas for for Gotham City. But it's like he's but again, you're right. And that if you go to the core of the character that we see a lot of, especially in the animated series, you're right. He's very petty. Um, I absolutely agree with that. All right. Well, let's uh, l- let's start giving our final thoughts on this movie. Perry, give us your final thoughts on Batman, The Long Halloween, this two-part adaptation. So, like I said, the first part, very well done. I thought it's a great adaptation. It leaves with this great twist. I I, I don't like the second part. It, I feel like they missed the mark. on. They had, they had so many different directions they can go to to make it its own thing, independent of the original comic book. And I just... I feel like they picked the wrong direction, but I think the cast is great. You mentioned Troy Baker. I thought he did a he did a marvelous job. There were a few times when I when I think he just he just slightly falls short of the Mark Hamill mark where I'm then that it took me out of it. But for the most part, he's pretty consistent all the way through. And I, I talked about it a little bit before, but Jensen Ackles, man, he is this guy is someone who I wish we could see play Batman uh, in live action because I I was a Supernatural fan all 15 years and I thought he is able to really capture that kind of like dark gravelly side of Batman. But, you know, if if you've watched Supernatural, he's also got like the Bruce Wayne, like, you know, charm side of him too, where he can be kind of goofy at times and he can be kind of offbeat. So I think he could have played like that kind of like, you know, billionaire playboy aspect of Bruce Wayne's character as well, as well as doing like, you know, this dark brooding version of Batman. So I think we we missed something by not getting to see him uh play batman in live action but i'm so glad we got to see him in this movie yeah i agree you know that no that's a, that's a good point um he he is really good and look i mean jensen eccles i mean he look he certainly had his share of you know superhero projects for sure i mean look I, his role in the boys was really great i was just doing his imdb as you were talking here and i totally forgot just like so random like He's also a voice in Batman Under the Red Hood, but he's playing Jason Todd, um, which is really interesting. And he's good in that one. And Batman Under the Red Hood is actually another really good animated movie. Uh, by the way, that that's that's in my upper echelon as well. Well, here, look, I mean, for me, like this movie, I this movie had a strong foundation already with how good the the source material was. Um, But look, as we know, sometimes that doesn't always translate to a good film. The Killing Joke is certainly proof of that, uh, which is Mm -hmm. just. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah, let's just move on. Um, but on this one, they nailed it. Um, as we've talked about, it's one of the it's one of the best showcases of Batman. It what makes his character and world so compelling. Um, and again, and again, I told you I had this in my notes, but like I I think this is a great story. If you like just have no knowledge of Batman or really who he is, this is one I'd probably recommend. And like I mean, truly think of everything that this story packs in. I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a good mystery in my opinion. Um, Batman's central trauma of his parents getting shot comes into play with both Scarecrow's fear toxin and then coming to terms with the mistakes his father made. Um, you've got Batman, as you already talked about, you got Batman, Gordon, Dent working together, and then Dent, you see Dent ultimately get corrupted. Batman trying to save the soul of Gotham City. It's a great love story between Batman and Cowman, and a great, great, and again, great usage of the villains for the most part. Um, so I mean, it's got everything. Um, and as I've said it, I've said it enough already. There is a reason why so much has been emulated from this story into the modern Batman movies. Um, and also not to dig into Reeves' Batman again, but I'm gonna do exactly that. I think like the Bruce Carmine dynamic might be a little bit better here in this long Halloween movie as well than how they did it in the Batman Matt Reeves movie. 
I I like how intertwined they are in this story because even though they're on opposite sides of the coin, uh, when Carmine dies, which is a great scene that you talked about already, but when Carmine dies, he asks Batman, you know, do you still believe? And of course, he's referring to, do you still believe in Gotham City? And Batman says yes. That's it's a really powerful moment, and it's very complex because they weirdly both want the same thing, which is for Gotham City to stand for something great. But of course, they have very different ways of achieving it. Um, but one thing they do both agree on is that they don't want Gotham City overrun by evil like the Joker or, you know, the scarecrows of the world. Um, and so, again, it ends on the most bittersweet note there is. You know, Two-Face succumbs to the dark side, but he also turns himself in. Um also at the end i mean you also have batman not turning in gilda which is problematic i mean i guess it's a bit ambiguous but yeah I, that, that's a criticism i come on batman you, you got to turn gilda in um yeah I, the film, I, I, yeah I was go ahead that was something else i wanted to i wanted to mention too i'm glad you brought that up because you reminded me that that's something that sticks in my craw about this yeah. movie too it's just it's i get what they're trying to do and you can justify it in, in the comic book because batman never finds out that it was gilda so that makes sense why she gets away with it but here they wanted to show Batman becoming that detective and they wanted to have that aha moment when he figures it out. And I get that. But if you're going to do that, you have to have him then put her away. Him letting her go, I feel, is just very irresponsible. Yeah, it, it's it's a problem. It's a problem. But the uh, but, you know, when you talk about now, when you talk about the very end of this movie, the film for me definitely has a great final scene that leaves an impact where, you know, you're back at Wayne Manor which finally gets a trick-or-treater, and the kid, of course, comes dressed as Batman, showing Bruce that his work is finally beginning to inspire, and he begin and he begins at the end of this story to understand what Batman can be. So it's a, it's a great final scene, a great ending. Um, so yeah, again, um, so many great elements to this movie. For me, The Long Halloween, both the book and the film, it's great stuff. What did you think of the the post-credits uh, singer, where we've got the other trick-or-treaters who show up? Wait, wait, what? There's a post-credit scene? I didn't even know never, that. No, oh, my, oh yeah. So there's this um, it, there's this post-credit scene, and there and um, Alfred goes to answer the door, and then he turns to Bruce and is like, "I think it's for you," and it's it's a flash and green arrow. Wait. What you're are you are you pulling my leg? No, I am dead serious. I can't believe you didn't know this. Yeah, there's a because the whole idea is like this is supposed to be like kind of like the start of a new animated DC universe thing. So so with uh, this and Superman Man of Tomorrow, um, yeah, I'm surprised you never you didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's this post credit uh, uh, stinger at the end where it's the Flash and Green Arrow. They come to visit Bruce. Uh, he's in a relationship with uh, Selena. So which it's a fun scene, but at the same time, I kind of like how I felt with the Death and Return of Superman. Uh, two-parter is i i like that movie a lot i like uh well at least the first half of this movie a lot but i i wish they would just be like standalone on their own instead of having to be part of this larger animated continuity i mean that's i mean that's certainly a topic for a whole nother day i i'm i'm glad i didn't i i just I, i'm i'm done with post credits look listen i said this on the podcast before i i'm obviously i'm a massive batman fan you know i love comic books but Listen, I'm always going to be a movie guy first. And for me, when the credits come on, all right, the movie's over. Enough. I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with post-credits. Uh, all right, whatever. Um, all right, well, that, that that's going to do in the long Halloween. I'm going to remember the ending for that. Um, all righty. Uh, Perry, I this was a lot of fun. I want to thank you so much for joining me on this long Halloween. Uh, I know you have some stuff you want to plug, so please plug away. And also, where can people find you? Okay, well, first off, thanks so much for having me on. This is a it was a fun debate, um, fun discussion. And uh, as for me, my podcast is Superhero Cinephiles. And in fact, you know, Alex, who introduced us, he's been uh, a guest on there twice. 
So you can go check out those episodes. Um, and he came on to talk about uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and also the uh, Crisis on Earth X, the, uh, the CW cross, uh, Arrowverse crossover. So uh, those are both fun episodes to listen to. But more important than anything that is, I have a comic book that I am currently funding. It is called Paragons of Earth. And basically what we did is we took a whole bunch of these forgotten golden age superheroes that have just been you know, kind of wallowing in the public domain. And we plucked them out of obscurity. We gave them a, a new fresh cone of paint and revitalized them for a new generation. And it's it's a fun book. It's basically the the one sentence pitch I can tell you is it's a it's imagine the Justice League against um the Kahulu Mythos because it's got it's got a lot of Lovecraftian stuff going on in there. And we've got and we very intentionally, you'll see if you look at the comic book, we kind of we were very inspired by the Justice League when we were put putting these characters together and choosing which ones we were going to use. So that is currently funding. It is at uh, crowdfunder.com. That is crowdfunder without an E. So it's just crowdfundr.com slash Paragons Comic. Uh, we also have a sub stack where people can sign up for free to get free updates to that. That is paragonscomic.substack.com. And you can also find me on Blue Sky, uh, P-E-R Constantine. I've got links to all this stuff on my Blue Sky account or my website, Personal Constantine. Com. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Thank you very much. You can find me on Twitter or X or whatever uh, at Decon Writer. Again, that's at Decon Writer. And yeah, please, I always say this at the end, you know, if you're new to this podcast, please, please check out some of our past episodes. Go on the Pop Break Today feed and check out Babin by the Numbers. I always love to plug our pilot episode that we did a while back. It is me, it is Bill Bakken, it is Alex, and we are just ranking all the Batman movies. It's a great first episode. But yeah, we've also done a lot of other uh, great episodes since then. Um, like I mentioned last month, we did Batman Ninja, another uh, animated movie as well. And then a couple months ago, we did uh, the Dark Knight 15th anniversary celebration. I mean, come on, we're talking the Dark Knight. I mean, you know, who, who wouldn't want to listen to a podcast about the Dark Knight? one of the greatest movies ever made and yeah we also and then a few months back um it's probably one of our best episodes if not maybe our best uh we had a big panel for this one where we just we rank all the batman actors um and that was a really really fun discussion uh yep so you know we do a lot of rankings episodes and lots of other batman topics and we also delve into a lot of dc topics uh, a lot of DC movie topics as well. Uh, more of that stuff to come certainly in the future. Uh, but yeah, but that's going to do it uh, for this edition of the Batman by the Numbers podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>